0: Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. In fact, I heard of this lady once who was living next door to an atheist. She was an old lady. They were in a flat and the walls were very thin. So he would often hear her pray. And she would just pray out loud. She'd pray in her, her, her room. She would pray in her flat. And the atheist next door used to get so frustrated at hearing these prayers. He would think that this old lady was crazy, man. She's like, who's she even talking to? She's nuts. She's loony. She believes in fairy tales. Anyway one month the month was getting really long the money was getting really little this lady was running out of food to eat so she started really interceding oh lord oh lord i pray for groceries i speak it lord i claim it lord you'd pray louder and louder every day as the months go by she started praying louder and this atheist next door was going crazy so one day he thought you know what i'm going to do i'm going to prove to her that her god does not exist and so he went out and he bought a whole lot of groceries He went and put it outside her flat door. He hid in the bush. She opens the door after he knocks. She sees all these groceries and she goes, oh, Lord, thank you for your provision. And he jumps out from the bush and goes, aha. You think it's the Lord? It's me. It wasn't the Lord. It's me. I told you your God doesn't exist. She looked at him. Her mouth drops open. She runs down the street. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord amazing, God. You're amazing. He runs after and says, Lady, I don't think you get it. I bought the groceries. Why are you thinking God? She looks at him and says, Well, I knew God would provide, but I didn't know He would make the devil pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer is powerful, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle with it. In fact, I think any Christian for any length of time will tell you there's probably been a time, and maybe you're in that time right now, where they've really kind of struggled in their prayer life. And I think every time we know there's a prayer or sermon coming on prayer, we kind of like buckle down and be like, okay, there's probably something I need to do, something I need to work on, because we never feel like we've arrived. I've, I've very rarely met a Christian who's satisfied with their prayer life, who's been like, yeah, I pray enough. Yeah, speak to God enough, like it's something that I feel we always need to work on, but what I really want to do today, because this is honestly a topic we can preach on for months, what I want to do today is just set a basic framework. I want to break down this topic of prayer step by step and hopefully just give us a great foundation for what we can build our prayer life on, and maybe we can see if there's any cracks in our foundation. Perhaps that's why we sometimes struggle with prayer Ourselves And so I want to answer the first basic question, what is prayer? And very simply, without complicating the matter too much, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is communicating with our creator. It is a human soul interacting with the one that created the soul. You as a human soul interacting with the creator of your soul, that is prayer. It is this communication. To build a relationship. It's something that is essential to our faith. Because when we sign up to follow Jesus, we're not signing up for some religion. We're signing up for a relationship. And so prayer becomes the foundation of that relationship. Because that's how we communicate. It, It can be something done audibly, with our lips, with our speech. It can be something done secretly in our thoughts, in our inner thoughts. It can be something done privately at home, and it can be something done publicly in church meetings like this. But how do we do it is always kind of where people feel like they don't have the right tools. And I love that the Bible addresses how to pray to God head on. In fact, we see this interaction in two places in the Gospels. In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, we see the disciples go to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, how do we pray now, who's grateful the disciples asked that question? I'm so grateful they asked it. I'm so grateful that it's recorded for us what Jesus answered them because Jesus does tell us and teach us how to pray. And who better to learn how to pray from than Jesus Christ? And so let's look at what was the model that Jesus gave us when it came to prayer. And we're going to look at the Matthew version in Matthew 6. So let's gather together in Matthew 6 from verse 9. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. I want to pause it there because it's very important to notice that Jesus didn't say, this then is what you should pray. Jesus was not here giving us a prayer to recite, a prayer to memorize and mindlessly just quote when we feel like it. Now, there's nothing wrong with reciting it. There's nothing wrong with praying it, but that was not the intention of Jesus Christ. What he wanted to show us is how to pray. In other words, Jesus is saying, here I'm giving you a template. I'm giving you a guide. I'm giving you an example to follow. And then Jesus prays this prayer, the most famous prayer in the world. Even non-believers can pray the prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer, and it goes like this, and I want us to read it together. This is from the NIV version, so let's read it together off the screen. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. For doing that. Let's break down this template. We know that prayer is talking to God, but now Jesus is telling us exactly how to do it. And it's really important and significant that when we come to God, Jesus says you approach Him as Father, our Father. Those opening words mean everything. In fact, I believe that if you're going to grow in your prayer life, maybe you're not desiring to pray as much as you should desire to pray. I believe it really lies in these two words, our Father. Because when you believe that God, he's good and he's loving and he's kind and he's your father... When you believe that he fully sees you and accepts you. When, when you, when you believe that he has deep, unconditional love to you, what it should do, that belief should force you and push you into communication with him because you know you have a good dad who's on your side. You have a good dad who's fighting for you. You, you have a good dad who sees you. You have a good dad who plans for you. So this whole idea is that I have this good father and knowing this should push me, should increase my desire to speak to him. There's several reasons why you might not desire to pray as much as you should. One of the reasons is pride. Everyone say pride. You see, if I believe that I don't need God and I can make it through the day without Him, I'm strong enough and smart enough to do this alone, well, guess what? I'm not going to pray because I don't see my need for God, so why pray? A second reason why I might not have such a desire to pray is a lack of faith. Everyone say lack of faith. If I don't believe God's really gonna do anything with my prayers, if I don't believe He re- is really gonna listen or really gonna hear me or gonna respond, why would I pray? And so a lack of faith can dampen my prayer life. Because I'm like, why bother speaking to Him? He's not gonna do anything anyway. Like miracles don't really happen and God's not really interested and he's listening to 6 billion people. Why would he hear me? Like a third reason why we might not desire to pray is because we see God as someone who's judgmental and critical. Now, quickly do me a favor. Do this exercise for me. I want you to think about all the people you know, all your family members, your friends. I want you to think about who is the most critical and judgmental person in your life. Okay, point to them. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Keep it private. You do not have to look at your spouse and say, it's you. Okay? (laughs) Who's the most critical and judgmental person you know? Think about them by name. Now, I, I would bet money on this. I bet that that's not the person you're going out of your way to spend lots of time with. I bet that that's not the person you're trying to hang out with on weekends. That's not the person you're trying to build a relationship. Why? Because as human beings, we automatically hide from those who are judgmental or critical. So what happens when you believe God is judgmental and critical? Well, by default, we hide. We don't naturally seek out his presence, right? And so Jesus says, listen, when it comes to prayer... The first thing you've got to said right, the foundation, the very first step is to see God not as some judgmental, critical being in the sky who looks at you disappointed being, dude, what are you doing? No, instead, he's a loving father saying, son, come to me, daughter, come to me. I love you with a deep, unconditional, pure love. It's never going to up, give up on you. I'm on your side. Like, I, I, I've got you. I love you. And so for us to grow in our prayer life, we have to believe that he's a good father, And it's from this place of fatherhood that Jesus invites us to pray the rest of this prayer. And the first kind of stop, the first part of this template has got to do with God's name. Everyone say God's name. God's name. The first part of this prayer goes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is this word that means lifted high respected spoken well of our father in heaven your name is to be revered your name is to be respected you see we can come into the throne room of god boldly but we should not come in disrespectfully we should know who our father is yes he's our father but our father is the king of kings our Father is the Alpha and Omega. Our Father is omniscient and omnipresent. Our Father is more powerful than anyone else. Our Father has all sovereignty and all authority. He's holy. He's pure. And so the Bible says that the fear of God, that's the beginning of our wisdom. And so we acknowledge His Dad, but we come in with a sense of respect for who our Dad is. We don't come flippantly. We don't come to God Sitting ourselves above him as if he was created to serve us, as if he was created to worship us. No, we come humbly knowing that we've been created to worship him, that we've been created to serve him. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And in doing so, we join with heaven. We're told what happens in heaven 24 hours a day in Revelations 4.8, that God's name is being revered. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was and who is and is still to come. This is what's happening in heaven. And when you and I start to pray and we start to revere and respect and adore and lift high the name of God, we join with the voices in heaven. We bring heaven to earth because that's not what's happening on earth. The Bible tells us what's happening on earth. In Isaiah 52 verse 5, it says, my name is blasphemed all day long. That's what's happening here on earth. But when you and I pray, we join with the voices of heaven. We, we revere God. We respect him. We lift him high. And so that means as we pray, when we say, our father, dad, God, there's no one like you. When we pray, we start to say, God, you are the king of kings. God, you are magnificent. You are sovereign. You are beautiful. You are holy. God, you are majestic far above all else. God, oh, I love you. I love your name. I love your power, right? That's the first part of the prayer. We acknowledge his father, but then we acknowledge his sovereignty. We lift his name on high. You know, I sometimes do this with my kids. Uh, especially when they're saying grace. Uh, we, we as a family, we pray before every meal. But sometimes I can just see, you know, the person praying, especially my younger kids, they're just trying to tick this box because this prayer is the only thing standing between them and spaghetti. Right? And she's like, Jesus, thank you for the food. Amen. <laughs> right? And so when I see that happening very often with my little kids, I'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we try that again? And this time I want you to remember who you're speaking to. In fact, let's close our eyes, I said to them, and I want you to just picture God on the throne. Picture his majesty, picture how big he is and how powerful he is. Okay, now thank him for the food. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm not going to speak to you flippantly. I'm not going to forget who it is I am speaking to. That's kind of the first part of this template. The second part is God's will. Everyone say God's will. We, we get this from verse 10 where it says, May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that as you live, you're probably doing something to build your little kingdom. We all have little kingdoms. We're putting our, mo- our money, our effort, our resource, we're putting it into building our little kingdom on earth, and we all have a will. We're born with a strong will and so what god is saying is that as you come to me and acknowledge that i'm father and you revere my name what i want you to do before anything else is i want you to subject your kingdom and your will to mine this is a prayer of submission to say god in this moment as i approach you as i speak to you i'm putting your kingdom and your will above my own it's not natural for us we have a selfish nature right and that's why we got to do this when we approach god to say god right now in this moment It's not about me I mean it's not about my kingdom it's about yours and so let's look into those two things first of all kingdom everyone say kingdom we get a glimpse of how this kingdom works in John 3 3 with Jesus's interaction with Nicodemus it says in John 3 3 Jesus replied I tell you the truth unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of God I think this is would have really confused Nicodemus because From his point of view, he would have thought he's already under God's authority. But Jesus says, no, no, no. In order to be in my kingdom, you have to be born again. In other words, God's kingdom is not a place. It's a relationship. And putting your life in God's kingdom means you're willing to take everything that makes you you. Every resource, every relationship, every talent, everything. You're saying, God, I'm submitting my kingdom to yours. I'm willing for you to touch anything in my kingdom, to use anything in my kingdom for you. It's not about my kingdom now, God. This is about yours. Secondly, God, it's not about my will and my plans and my ideas. God, this is not about what I want. This is about what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. Which means I'm okay even if you say no. No. I'm okay even if you say, wait. I'm okay even if you say, Lord, not now. Because can I remind you, church, that the purpose of prayer is not to inform God about anything. You've never informed God about a thing. God does not only hear about your problems when you bring it to his attention. He knew about those things when he laid the foundations of the world. God doesn't just discover it when you mention it. No, He's already known about those things. And so we have to think about what is the purpose of our prayer because the purpose of our prayer is not just about getting answers and getting our way. In fact, for some of us, we're praying desperately for deliverance from our situation, deliverance from our pain, deliverance from our heartache, deliverance from our stress, but perhaps God's will is not to deliver you from that thing, but rather to deliver you through that thing. And so sometimes His will is going to be no, or His will is going to be wait. Not every problem in your life is one that God wants to solve. You see... Prayer is not about God's intervention all the time. Sometimes it's just about God's invitation for us to see things God's way and to think things the way God thinks about them. Because let me remind you, guys, even if God tried to explain everything that was going on in your life to your satisfaction, you still wouldn't be satisfied. Because all that would do would increase your need for control. Right? So all we do is hide in your need for control. And you say, God, tell me more. I want to know more. Well, I want to remind you that in this relationship with God, you are on a need to know basis. Look at someone and say, you're on a need to know basis. And so we come to God saying, God, I don't know it all. And I understand you're not going to tell me it all. That's why I need faith. And so I come first before I request anything. I first come and say, you are my father. You are far above all else. You are powerful and mighty. And as I come to you with the needs I'm about to bring, I first want to say, God, this is not about me. This is not about my kingdom. And this is not about my will. And it's from this posture of humility and submission that we go to the next part of the template, which is God's provision. Look at someone and say, God wants to provide. He wants to provide. It says in verse 11, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. There's a lot to unpack in that verse, but I would say for a majority of Christians, this is kind of where our prayer life stays in this one step. We only really pray fervently when we need something from God. I call it the really, really prayers. God, I really, really need some money. God, I really, really need a job. God, I really, really need a girlfriend. God, I really, really need that parking. Like it's in those moments of like, okay, I'm going to pray with everything now. Because Lord, now I really, 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 really need it. And then we we don't see God responding the way we think he should. He can even stop us from praying. Because we're not praying in order to build a relationship with God. We're just praying to get something from him. And actually, true prayer is not about praying to get something from God. It's about building a relationship with this God from whom everything comes. prayer, True prayer should be about intimacy, communication, relationship. It should not be just about getting. But there is an element where God says, you can ask, because if you don't ask, you don't receive. So I want you to ask, but I want you to ask from this position first, where you said, Lord your kingdom first and your will first. And it's only from that place. Now you ask. But many people aren't asking because they want to know the Father more. they just want more from the Father. And that is in good prayer. And so we can ask for these things from this place of submission that says, give us today our daily bread. Some great little words there. The word give. Everyone say give. It's a reminder that Everything we have that's good is given from God, and He's part of that full process, right? Every bit of food you've ever had on your plate, God was in every step. It was His will that that seed was formed. It's His will that it grows in the the ground. It's His will that it produces fruit. It's His will that it gets to your house. It's His will that it lands on your plate. It's His will that your body is able to digest it. The only reason you have anything is because of God. Give us, Lord, give it. To us, Lord, we acknowledge it comes from you. Then it says, give us our daily bread. Now, we know in the original language, bread was a metaphor for the things needed to live. This is what God says you should ask for, the things you need to live. What what do you need to live? For some of you, it's like, Lord, give me a, a roof over my head. Give me some food on my plate. Give me some clothes on my back. But I do kind of love that the Bible, you know, Jesus didn't teach his disciples to say, give us today our daily steak. (laughs) Right? I mean, that would be nice, but give us today our daily bread. In other words, what God's promised to do is take care of your needs, not your greeds. Now, does that mean that prosperity isn't on the cards for some of you? No. For some of you, that's God's plan for you to be very prosperous financially. But that's not God's plan For everyone, God has promised to take care of your needs, and He tells you to ask God for your needs. And I love the words that Jesus uses here because He makes it unselfish. Give us today our daily bread. Everyone say us, Us. say "our." our. Do you hear the community in that? How do we normally pray? Lord, give me today my daily bread. That's not how Jesus, Jesus was interested in the community. In other words, as I'm praying for my needs, I have to hold it in light to the needs of those around me. What I'm praying is, Lord, would you give us as a church, would you give us as a community our daily bread? Lord, there are brothers and sisters amongst me who have nothing, who have less. God, I have concern for them. I'm praying for them. Give us today, Lord, our daily bread. This is not a selfish prayer for you. This is a prayer for the community. That God would bless his children. That God would bless his church. That God would bless your brothers and sisters that are in Christ. Give us today our daily bread. And he makes it a daily bread because God wants us to rely on him every day. He doesn't want us in a position where we're like, well, don't worry about it today, God. I've got this. No, no, no. Today. Give us today. Lord, I'm going to wake up. And today I'm reliant on you. I need you today. God loves it when you're in that place. Daily reliance on him. So give us today our daily bread, God's provision. And once you have brought your needs and requests to God, not just for you, but for the community, then it takes it to the next phase of this prayer, God's forgiveness. Everyone say God's forgiveness. In verse 12, it says, and forgive us our sins. In the book of Luke, it uses the word debts. Forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, for we ourselves forgive give everyone who is indebted to us. What is sin? What is debt? Well, the debt that we have to God and the debt we have to others is to love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said all the commands could be summed up in this. You have a debt to love people. And when you don't love God well, it's a sin. When you don't love others well, it's a sin. In other words, even an admission or not doing a good thing is a sin. And so the Bible says there are some debts you have towards God. You have not always loved him well. And there are debts you have towards other people. You have not always loved your enemy. You have not always walked well with them. And then it says, you're also a debtor because guess what? There are people in your life that haven't loved you well. This is one of the hardest things about relationship, guys, is that people just fail our expectations. They don't match or meet their obligations in our relationships. And we walk away just thinking, man, you disappointed me. You let me down. You hurt me. You scarred me. You abused me. I have debts against you. What do we do with these debts that we have against God and that others have against us? Well, the answer is we come in an attitude of forgiveness and we give both to God. We say, God, forgive me where I have loved badly. Forgive me where I've loved you badly and I've loved others badly. And Lord, those debts that I have against them for all the ways they have failed me, I forgive them too. And again, the whole attitude of this is, In community, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's it's all about community. In other words, we're kind of saying, God, forgive me for not loving you enough. And forgive her for not loving me enough. This is a prayer I pray. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive them for what they've done, Lord. We call on your forgiveness. Now... Do you need to pray that prayer to be forgiven of your sin? Actually, your sin's already been dealt with, right? Your sin's already been paid for. The scripture's clear on that. So what's happening in this prayer is that we are clearing up the air. Because we know even as we approach our Father, we don't come in condemnation. There is no shame. There is no judgment. But I realize, just like in a human relationship, if I offend you, do something against you, it hangs in the air, and it affects how I treat you until I clear it up. And so this is what we're doing in our prayer to God. We're just clearing it up saying, God, I know I messed up there and I know I did this and I'm just so thankful that you forgive me. And because I'm so thankful that you forgive me, I forgive them. God, I have not loved you well and they haven't loved me well. But because you forgive me for not loving you well, I forgive them for not loving me well. And the only time you don't have to forgive them is when you did it well with God. When you stand before God and say, God, I loved you perfectly. I did everything well. I loved everyone right. Well, that's never going to happen. Which means every time we come to God, we have this attitude of God. I haven't loved you well. And I haven't loved them well. And so, Lord, I let them off the hook. Because they've just done the same to me. After we've brought our needs to God... We acknowledge our need for forgiveness and our commitment to forgiveness. And that brings us to the final part of this template is God's deliverance. Everyone say God's deliverance. And lead us not into temptation, it says, but deliver us from the evil one. So similar to the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see, temptation's always going to be there. You will never be so spiritually mature that you won't be tempted. That would be like pretending that gunpowder couldn't be caught on fire. No, you have it in you. You have the propensity for sin that's in you, right? So all of us will be tempted. Jesus was tempted. So you're never going to get to a uh, level of spiritual maturity where you don't get tempted. But the prayer is to keep us from indulging in the sin to keep us from entering into the temptation. So you will be tempted, but the prayer is, Lord, keep me strong, grow in me that that fruit of self-control that I can say no, that I can see the way out that you provide me from this temptation. Lord, you know the temptations I face. You know the, the way the devil trips me up. Lord, would you protect me? Would you deliver me from the plots of the evil one because there is a devil who is scheming to get you. He's planning to trip you up, and you know that he knows all the ways, all the buttons to push. If it's worked once in your life, he just does it again. That's why we often feel like we're on a cycle in our faith. We just keep falling for the same things. So we pray, Lord, protect me from that cycle. Protect me from the schemes, the arrows of the enemy. Deliver me from that evil. And so we do this consistently. We come to God and we say, "Our Father." Hallowed be your name. Oh, Lord, I love you. There's no one like you. God, I'm more interested in your kingdom and your will than mine. And so here are some of my needs that I submit to your kingdom. I submit to your will. And God, I'm just so grateful you forgive me. And because I'm grateful, Lord, today I forgive them. They messed up as bad as I did, Lord. And so protect me, Lord, when I'm tempted to lust and get angry and hold into bitterness and all these things. Just protect me, God. Deliver me from the evil one. In Jesus' name, we pray by the name of Jesus because that's how we enter in. Amen. And we do that as a basis for our prayer. We do it consistently and we do it because there's power in our prayer. Things change when we pray. The spiritual realm is impacted when we pray. There isn't a single prayer God doesn't hear. There isn't a single prayer that he doesn't respond to. He's not Santa. He doesn't ignore you when you've been a naughty boy or a naughty girl and pay more attention to you when you've been really good. No, no, no. He's loving. He's inviting. He hears every single one. And this is what Paul says in the book of Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Are you worrying right now about something? Well, it might be a sign you're not praying about it. Because Paul says, instead of worrying, instead, pray about everything. Everyone say everything. And if you look at that word in the original language, you know what it means? Everything. Amazing, isn't it? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace. In giving to Him, you experience a peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Church, this is a power of prayer. To bring God everything, your big needs and your small needs, the things you've never spoken to anyone else about, the things that are bugging you, the things you're celebrating. Bring everything. This is the invitation. You don't have to be shy. You don't have to be like, oh, I don't want to bother God you don't want to be like oh god's listening to so many other voices how can he hear mine you know what i was thinking about the other day how many of you are aware of chat gpt everyone anyone can you put up your hands if you've heard of ChatGPT? just want to see who's cheating on their work okay cool <laughs> just kidding uh so there was a stat that was released the other day that there's about 20 something million users chatting with chat gpt every single day this is an artificial intelligence website People are just getting information from there. And you know what we don't question? We don't question, well, how can ChatGPT have 20 million conversations? I want to say if a man-made computer can have 20 million conversations at one time, how much more the God of creation? He can pay attention to you. He listens to you. He sees you. If one computer can do it, you bet God can do it. And so we bring our needs. We speak to Him about everything that we're going through. Because when we do, when we read in scripture, we see that powerful things happen, guys. Just one example, Elijah, just one example. He prays and he says, God, will you shut off the rain from this country? And then it doesn't rain for over three years. Then he goes back to God again and says, God, would you open the heavens? And then it rains. He's like treating the weather like a sprinkler system. I'll turn it on now. Turn it off now. Then he's like, God, would you bring fire from heaven? Then fire comes down from heaven, consumes the prophets in the altar. It's like crazy what prayer can do. And I know we read that and be like, yeah, well, that's Elijah. But I love how James reminds us like, no, Elijah was just a man. It says it's in James five seventeen. Elijah was as human as we are. Guys, when you read the story, you see he really was. He was scared. He ran away from people. He struggled with depression. He had massive suicidal thoughts. And we can see ourselves in all that stuff. But it says, see yourself in the power as well. Because as he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. In prayer, you and I have the power that Elijah had. In prayer, you and I can find the power of God for our situations. And that doesn't mean we're going to get everything you want. Because sometimes the answer will be no. Sometimes it will be wait. But if you don't ask, God will never respond. And so we keep on asking because you have a job to do and God has a job to do. What's your job? Your job is to pray and to ask. God's job is to respond. We don't get involved in God's job. We just do our job well. So I'm going to ask by faith, because you've told me to, Lord, you told me to pray big praise and bold praise. I'm going to do that by faith. What you do with my praise, it's up to you. But I'm going to do my part. So bring your part. And do it every day. In fact, don't stop doing it. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, maybe you didn't know this, but today you're going to leave with a memory verse. You're all going to leave with one. You're going to be able to quote this. It's great. One Thessalonians five seventeen. It's just two words: pray continuously. Everyone say, "Pray continuously." Pray One Thessalonians five seventeen. James is saying, "Well, pray continuously." Can we say those words again? One, two, three. Pray Can we take that off the screen? What does One Thessalonians five seventeen say? Pray hey, you've learned a verse today. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. <laughs> Pray continuously. In other words, make this a lifestyle, guys. When we get up, we have this attitude, Lord, you're my Father. There's no one like you. I submit this day to you, not your will today, not not mine but yours, not my kingdom but yours. God, you know the needs I have. How they are. Lord, as I give you these needs, I acknowledge I've messed up and they've messed up. And I receive your forgiveness, help me forgive them and protect me this day, Lord. And then you keep on talking. You keep on walking. You keep on communicating and you do not give up because you know that every prayer you say, God hears and he responds and he moves. So you do your part well, knowing that God is doing his part well. Don't give up praying. In fact, instead of me praying as we close today, I'm going to invite you to pray. So can I ask you to close your eyes? We just really close our eyes, not because we're told to do it in the Bible, just because it helps us focus. It helps us get rid of distractions. And so with your eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer that you're welcome to do out loud. You're welcome to whisper. You're welcome even to do this in your heart, in your thoughts. And we're going to start by addressing God as dad. So wherever you are, You can just pray, our Father, God, Dad. And now I want you to say something about his name. Say something about his majesty. Revere his name together. Will you do that? I want you now to pray a prayer of submission where you say, God, it's not about me and my will and my kingdom. It's about you, your will, your kingdom. Now it's time to bring your needs to God. What's a need in your life? What's the need in your heart? Where would you like God to intervene? Where would you like him to step in? Speak to God about your needs. Once you've done that, it's time to address your debt and your debtors. Ask Him to forgive you for the ways you failed to love Him and others and commit to Him that you're forgiving all of those who failed to love you. And now it's time to ask for protection, ask him for freedom from that sin that keeps tripping you up, that habit that keeps trapping you, the temptation you keep falling for, the temptation to get angry, the temptation for lust, to do things you know you shouldn't do, ask him to deliver you from that evil in your life. And on the count of three, we're going to say, in Jesus' name, that's who's by authority we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One, two, three. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you can incorporate it into your daily life. Thank you for praying a bold prayer today. Let's give God the glory.